morning. Welcome to those joining us online. Welcome to you also. I think we're in for a treat uh, this morning. Like Christmas, I feel days like Palm Sunday or Easter, it's good to return to traditional scripture that describes those days and kind of rejoice in, in what it's all about. Even if we have a lot of repetition, you're in and you're out. I think that's really important. So today, we're not going to stray too far from the triumph umphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. That's what we celebrate on this Palm Sunday. Now, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem is kind of remarkable. It's very different from what he had done in the past. In the past uh, points of his ministry, he seemed to be adamant about keeping it secret, about not making a big public show. In fact, let me give you some scriptures that verifies what I just shared with you. In Matthew 12, uh, it says, he did not cry, nor strive, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. Then you go to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was the Christ. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter, um, the Bible says in Mark chapter 5 that he straightly charged them that no man should know of it. When Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he told, in fact, he gave orders to his disciples that they should tell no man what things they had seen until the Son of Man was raised from the dead. And when his half-brothers urged him to disclose himself to the world, he answered, my time has not yet come. But now we get to the triumphal entry, and you know what? He goes public. He goes public in, in a big way, and people come out in the multitudes to welcome him. And the Pharisees lament, behold, the whole world has gone after uh, him. Jesus knew, and he understood God's timing. And he knew when it was time to go public, and he entered Jerusalem as the grand marshal of Passover, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin uh, of the world. And um, for a few moments this Sunday, this day, Thousands of years later, we're going to remember that triumphal entry and enter into that joy. And you know what baptisms that we're celebrating today will help us in that uh, celebration. As this week unfolds, as Pastor Serenity said, you're going to have opportunity to enter into the last week of Jesus Christ's life. I would encourage you, come on Thursday and go to Monday, Thursday uh, communion and, and, and remember that final Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples. Come to the set, uh, service of shadows on Friday and remember that Christ was crucified and then at that moment of crucifixion, that people were so sorrowful. But, and then come for sure on Easter, and we're going to cel- celebrate Easter this year in a jubilee kind of perspective. And so you'll have to wait to see what that means by coming next Sunday. So let's get into today's message. I'm going to read to you from uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 39. Listen to the scripture. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, he went ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethage and to Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. 
And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Here's our big thought for the message today. It's a simple thought. Jesus was hailed at the triumphal entry. But we have to understand, there were very different crowds that day present for that triumphal entry. And they really reacted out of different motivations and in different ways. So the group we just read about here is the group called the multitude of disciples. It's way more than just 12 disciples. It was a multitude of disciples. They had heard the message of Jesus Christ. They had believed on him. They had received him. They had witnessed his mighty miracles. They had witnessed his spectacular things that he had been doing. And perhaps they were part of the group where Jesus said, don't say anything. But now they could go public. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I did as a young boy, especially because I didn't pay much attention. But you know, you'd get a can of pop. Your buddy would throw you a can of pop or whatever. And it would shake all up. And what would happen when you pulled the tab off? spray everywhere. And sometimes I would see my friends and throw up, you know, to a buddy, right? And you'd open up sprays everywhere. Well, that to me is a visual picture of what just happened here in the triumphal entry. All the disciples have been kind of pending this up. They have not been sharing about the Lord Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, like a can, you, you know, the lid's just been pulled off and the tab's been pulled. It just sprays out and they can't help but celebrate the entry of Jesus Christ and everything that he stands for. And they were the crowd in the know. They knew some things about Jesus Christ. And in that knowledge, they were celebrating. And we today are called to be in that multitude of the ones in the know. Amen? We should know our Savior, and we should celebrate him accordingly. And I want to just go through a few examples of what things we ought to know and celebrate on a day like this. Jesus is God's Son. God's been revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we in the know, we know Jesus is eternal and he's God's Son. Amen? Amen. Jesus also said this about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we in the know, know that there's no way to God except through Jesus Christ. Amen? Boy, you guys are weak today. First hour was way more demonstrative. I've never seen that. All right, here we go. Third point. The Holy Spirit, for we who know, we know that the Holy Spirit lives in those who are born again, and he's a game changer. He empowers us to do that which we cannot do in our own strength. Most of the world has no clue what that means. But we in the know know that when we're born again in Christ, the Holy Spirit fills us, and we are no longer the same person. Amen? We also know this. We in the know know that the Bible is the divine word of God to humanity. It's not just some random book thrown together. It is God's word to his creation. And I love how in the, the Bible, one of the first things that's revealed about God is that God has revealed as creator. And that's foundational to our understanding of life and what's going on. Right now, as has been for a long time, there's this battle going on between, you know, uh, intelligent design creator uh, of mankind and evolution, which says we happen by chance and happenstance. Amen? And these two world philosophies, they clash. They're diametrically opposed. And so much of what we see happening in culture today really relates back to this very beginning point of understanding who we are and how we came to be. If you're an evolutionist and you think it's all by chance, then you're going to have no problem aborting babies. Right? 
You're going to have no problem with misunderstanding or not understanding sexist and all that kind of stuff. There's going to be all those kind of issues. They're going to be at the forefront. They're not going to be a problem. Why? Because we're just happenstance. It doesn't matter. Amen? But if God is our creator, if he's our designer, and being an engineer in background, and I've looked at creation things a lot, I see design, 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 symbiotic relationships, two things happening at the same time that's virtually impossible to take place unless they happen at the same time. And I see all this design, design. You know what it screams to me? Intelligent designers behind it. Amen? And if you think there's a designer, then you're going to value life, whether it's old or young or in between. You're all valuable to God because you're created in the image of God. Male and female, he created them in the image of God. Amen? And, and so we're precious to him. We're going to have a whole different worldview. Those in the know should have a different worldview. And lastly, the Bible ends with Jesus saying, he is coming back soon. Amen. Every time I read that at the end of Revelation, I go, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. He's coming back soon. And I, 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 with some, I want to say it, disgust, I, I, I heard about this prayer that was offered at the beginning of the congressional session where the guy praying ended the prayer by saying, amen and a woman. And I thought, First of all, amen is not a masculine phrase. Amen means may it be so. So when I say Say amen. I'm saying, please say, may it be so. Amen? Okay, that's what it means. May it be so. It has nothing to do with masculinity or femininity. And at a national level, when they pray this way, I just go, ah! Because so many people aren't in the know, and they have no idea what just happened. And they think they're smart, and they're intelligent. And if you know Scripture, and if you know what the words mean, you just go, oh, man, for Pete's sake. All right. May the Holy Spirit... I'm going to rein her in right now. May the Holy Spirit be on us. I praise on us, those of us who are in the know. May he uh, grace us with the wisdom of Jesus, amen, to live our lives in perspective of being in the know. Now let's look into the second crowd that was there on that triumphal entry. There was a crowd there for the show. Uh, They were caught up with the excitement of what was going on. Matthew gives us a little bit more information on this particular crowd. Let me read uh, to you about them. I'm going to read Matthew 21, verses 8 through 11. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So the crowd here, by and large, knew that Jesus was special. They just didn't know who he was. They knew there was something different about him. And some gave a partial answer. This is the prophet from Nazareth. But who is Jesus? Son of God that came to take away the sin of the world. The one to whom we can be saved and be righteous with God once again by his forgiveness, amen, and by a sacrifice on the cross. He's more than a prophet. They understood in part, but they didn't get part. Listen to this. This crowd and most of the crowd of the world today is caught up in the moment and they don't understand the movement. So this crowd was more caught up in the moment and they didn't understand the movement. See, Jesus started a movement. He started a church. He started an organism. He started a body. 
Um, He's the bearer of good news to us that we can be redeemed and born again by putting our faith in him. And his church was birthed. And this church is to storm the gates of hell. It's a movement. It's something that's going forth. And many people today, just like they did in Jesus' time, reduce Jesus to something less than he was. Well, he's a prophet. Uh, He's one way to God among many ways. He's a good teacher. He's a good example. And to all those, I say amen, but he's so much more. That's an incomplete description of the Son of God who changes everything. When someone really wants to get fit, um, I always say this to myself, you have to have a total life change. So say you want to lose some weight or you just want to muscle up a little bit. You can't dabble in this thing and think it's going to work. You have to make a commitment to change your lifestyle. And if you want it to be lasting, what do you have to do? You have to change your lifestyle permanently. Or it just goes away as soon as you go back to things as normal. Listen, we come to Jesus Christ just as we are. That's the grand thing about Christianity. Christ invites you and I to come in our brokenness and our sinfulness and our waywardness. He says, come just as you are. But never does he say, stay just like you are. Does he? There's not one scripture that says, come to Christ just as you are and just stay that way. Well, you know what most of the world wants? to come the way they are and to stay the way they are. They want acceptance for what they're doing. They don't want the gift that Jesus wants to give, which is life new and and to be remade. See, Jesus says, come as you are and let me remake you into what you're meant to be. People in the know understand that. But people who are there for the show, they don't get that at all. And the pandemic that we've been through has been a wonderful opportunity for you and I to have some deep soul-searching and to be remade new. I, I tell you what, if you want to get a rise out of me, just come to me and say, I can either wait till the pandemic is over so we can get back to things as normal. Now you're all going to do that just to bug me, aren't you? No, we don't want to get back to things as normal, do we? God has given us an opportunity to do some self awareness, some self-evaluation, to look at our lives and say, do we have the right priorities? Maybe I've been doing the wrong things. Have, has this thing caused me anxiety? Why is it causing me anxiety? Uh, how should I change? How do I deepen my walk in the Lord Jesus Christ? This is a wonderful opportunity to, to, to kind of amp it up and let the Holy Spirit do some things in us. If we don't do that during this pandemic time, it is a wasted experience. And we're not gaining wisdom from it. And God wants us to gain a heart of wisdom as his followers. So most of the crowd in that day of the triumphal entry were there for the show. That's still the case today. It shouldn't surprise us. So much of our culture is just carried along by the excitement of the moment, by the the most recent show. But we who are in the know, we should know better. And we shouldn't get caught up in those kinds of things. We who are in the know know that we're part of something that's alive and well. We're part of the church. And I want to take a tangent with you. By the way, Pastor Aaron and I were talking about this multiple times. Paul will say something. And then he'll just depart from that thought for like two chapters of the Bible. He goes on a super long tangent. And you know, I do that naturally. I didn't know how much like Paul I am. Some of you are like that too. You start talking about something and all of a sudden, I I don't know what you're talking about. It wasn't what we started talking about, right? And Paul does this kind of tangent thing all the time. And I'm going to do a massive tangent with you right now. So I want you to come along and listen uh, with me for just a few moments and consider this. I want to talk to you about the church, that she's alive and well for a few moments, okay? And I want you just to hear this because I think in times like this pandemic, we begin to wonder if what's going on, God, and all this, all this stuff is starting to happen at a national level. We wonder what's going on. But I want you to just hear for a few moments of my heart. So Jesus started an unstoppable movement. 
uh, a movement that we need to know about and really embrace. And we know about it in part because we read about it in Acts, but that's usually the extent to the knowledge of most people like us. And we ought to be people in the know. We ought to understand how amazing the church is and how the church has been alive and well throughout the, the, the centuries since its inception. So Acts records the early history of the church. And it begins when Peter really preaches and 3,000 are saved and the church is born. It's just a, a movement that's unstoppable. And you can already see it in its beginnings that it's, it's supernatural. And the book of Acts just covers a few decades of history. Most of that history is taking place from then to now. And that's what I want to cover with you for a few moments. So the early church faced a lot of opposition from within and without. Most of the early persecution was spasmodic. It just took place over here, over there, and it whoop, 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 kind of like that and was gone, okay? But, but there were some moments when it was really fierce. Nero, in AD 64, he kind of persecuted the church and he delighted in setting Christians on fire and using them as lampstands and all that kind of hor- horrific kind of stuff. And then uh, along comes about uh, uh, AD 250, this, this Roman emperor named Decius, and he decided that Christians, they were problematic and I'm going to get rid of the leadership. And then persecution really began to take this kind of overall emphasis. You know what he was upset about with the Christians? They were so different from the rest of the culture. They didn't participate in the Roman religious observances. They didn't participate in a lot of the civil activities of Rome because they were immoral. And that just bothered them. Why are you so different? Because they're not of this world. Amen? They're of a different tribe. Their home is not here. Their home is distinctly different. And they lived accordingly. And therefore, he persecuted them. One amazing story that I was reading that took place during this time was that of a young woman named uh, Perpetua. And she was a martyr. But here's what's amazing about her story. She said, I must be martyr. I must face the beast. I must face the gladiators. And she marched towards her martyrdom on her own. And it just is illustrative of how the second and third century Christians were so radical and so on fire for God. Now, I'm not telling you to go out there and get martyred. It usually will come our direction, but it just shows you the heart of the people of that church time, and, and you, can, you just say, wow, the church is alive, and it's well. Um, in beginning A.D. 350, uh, there was this decade of horrific uh, persecution. And there were three ways that people tended to respond uh, to that persecution. One was lapses. They just reneged. They... they, they you know, said, I'm not a Christ follower. Then there were the ones that were um, uh, the confessors. And these were ones that made it through the persecution, but they had marks in their body from, from the torture and from the stuff that they had to endure. And then their third category was the martyrs, the ones that were killed for their faith. And I, I, when, I, when I read that and see that, I think Hebrews chapter 11, which says the world's not worthy of such ones. Amen. It's not worthy of such ones. And all that persecution did was fan the flame of the church. And it just grew. We don't like persecution, do we? we do. Who, who wants to get persecuted in here? Nobody wants it, but tell you what, when you get persecuted, whew, I don't know about you, I have lit a lot of fires in my life, and doing this really helps. Feed some and get some going, and persecution fan the flame of the church. In AD 180, already in AD 180, in Asia Minor, there were agreements over the New Testament books. What we read today was already agreed upon and it took a couple hundred more years for the church to officially canonize the New Testament. But already we see this wonderful unity and thrust and these powerful creeds like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed come into being. And you see this church that's alive and well and it's thrusting forward. And then there's these great early church fathers and mothers that were just 
so essential to the faith. You know, one of my favorite theologians is Tertullian, and he came up with the Trinity. He was the one who coined the frame, uh, phrase Trinitarian, and we see this church being established uh, on the truth of God. And then you had these early church fathers like Ignatius, Bishop of Antioch. He's a cool guy. Listen to what he said. He said, we recognize a tree by its fruit. Now, he's writing about this a couple thousand years ago, okay? We recognize a tree by its fruit, and we ought to be able to recognize a Christian by his action. The fruit of faith should be evident in our lives. For being a Christian is more than making sound professions of faith. It should reveal itself in practical and visible ways. Indeed, it is better to keep quiet about our beliefs and live them out than to talk eloquently about what we believe but fail to live in it. Ignatius was condemned to die. And on his way to this death sentence said this, Nearness to the sword is nearness to God. To be among the wild beasts is to be in the arms of God. Only let it be in the name of Jesus that I endure all things that I may suffer together with him since he who became perfect strengthens me. I'm convinced God graces you for whatever moment he calls you to face. Amen? And then you have Polycarp. He's a bishop of Smyrna. He confronted one of the church's most uh, 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 troublesome heretics, the Gnostic named Marcion. In fact, when he ran into him in Rome, he called him the son of Satan. So, you know, he didn't uh, mince words there. Um, But anyway, Gnosticism was really problematic for the church at this time, and he was responsible for converting many from Gnosticism. And if you don't know what Gnosticism is, you can kind of look, you can look it up on the internet, hopefully it's right. But it's kind of like New Age or some, that kind of spiritism kind of thing. And uh, his only existing writings was to the church of Philippi, which showed that he had little formal education, he was very unpretentious, he was very humble, and he was very direct. These were the kind of leaders that God was raising up and changing culture with. It doesn't matter what your education is, it matters that you're born again of God and the Holy Spirit's living in you, amen? And this guy, he's 86 years old, and all of a sudden they decide to arrest him. And he's, he's been doing this for a long time. And he said, okay, come arrest me. He's going to sit at home and wait for the arrest. But his companions, his friends, got so uptight and nervous and they, 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 that he wanted to comfort them. So he went to stay at a, at a state outside the city. Well, eventually the Romans found him at that estate. Again, his friends get all panicked, say, run, run. He says, nope. I'm going to just stay here, and they're going to arrest me. So he let them arrest him, and he appears before the proconsul, and they have uh, an interesting conversation, and he seems unfazed. In fact, it's kind of a, one of these spirited changes, exchanges back and forth until the proconsul gets kind of irritated with him and says, hey, I'm going to throw you to the wild beast, or I'm going to burn you at the stake. And Polycarp just told the proconsul, hey, my fire will last but a minute. Those who don't know Jesus, they're going to be an unquenchable fire for eternity which I'm sure was endearing words to this proconsul. And then Polycarp said, why do you delay? Let's get on with this. And so the soldiers grabbed Polycarp to, to, to stake him, nail him to the stake, and he said, I don't need to be nailed. I'll stand on the pier and I'll just die. I don't, I don't need, you don't need to tie me. My God will, will allow me to stay on the fire. So they lit the fire below, below him to uh, burn him to death. And the chronicle of this event said it was like baking of bread or like the purification of gold and silver. And the flames didn't put him out, so they had to stab him to put him out, or to kill him, I should say. And, and he, he died a martyr. And it got ugly for the church from A.D. 500 to A.D. 1500. And unfortunately, I think that's what a lot of people know of the church, the ugly moment of it. But, he, you know, there was immorality among the leadership and kind of uh, stuff went kind of crazy. People were selling indulgences to get relatives and friends out of purgatory. And so the saying became really popular. Every time a coin rings in the pot, a soul springs. And it, it, it was kind of terrible. And then there's these eight crusades that left a, a bad taste in the Muslim's mouth and the Jew's mouth alike. Um, 
Yeah, but at the same time, there's these wonderful points of light happening. that You can see the church is alive and well. St. Francis of Assisi, he's, he's happening during this time. He's a cool guy to read and to, to know. And then there's uh, Thomas Kempis, and he wrote The Imitation of Christ, which is a, such a good writing uh, on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have the pre-Reformation stuff happening, and you have John Wycliffe come on the scene, and he translates the Bible into a common day language, and he's killed for it. But the church is alive and well, Right? During all this time, it's marching. And then you have John Huss, this other pre-Reformation dude. And what, what do you know John Huss does? He does this. He holds services several times a day, just like this. Standing room only for 2,000 people. They'd come and they'd stand, you know, totally violating all COVID-19 protocol. They'd just stand all together, packed in like sardines. You know what John Huss would do? He would read the Bible! And they would go crazy! And big revival was beginning to happen. He likewise is killed on July 6th. 1415. Then there's a reformation. Martin Luther King comes on the scene with his famous uh, five solas. Sola scriptura, by scripture alone. Sola fida, by faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola Christos, Christ alone. Sola Dea Gloria, to the glory of God alone. And and man, you you just got to say, the church is alive. The church is doing well. And there's a first awakening. There's a second awakening. And in our generation, I could sit there and recount in my own lifetime, there's a charismatic uh, movement. There's been an evangelical movement movement and you know these things that we think are common they're not common it's God moving I'm telling you church you're alive and you're well and it doesn't matter what's going on at the governmental level it doesn't matter how much those in the that are in for the show or those that are in to stop the flow try to stop this thing they can't amen and if you know history you don't get as nervous about what we're going through right now amen if you want more on what I just shared with you, you can go to Dr. Jim Garlow. His final sermon at Skyline Wesleyan, done November 11th, 2020, was about the church is alive and well. Only it's about an hour and 15 minutes long. Just to let you know, it's good. So let's go back. I'm done with the tangent. i got to get done. I've got about two minutes here. In just a week's time, this crowd uh, that was along for the show, uh, who initially hailed Jesus, would be convinced to now shout out what? Nail Jesus. Crucify him. And this is what we remember at the Service of Shadows uh, on Friday. I like to go to the Service of Shadows because you just enter into this somber, reflective moment of what it meant that our Lord was crucified for us. And it's been fascinating to me to hear about all the misrepresentations that are now going on on the national level because of the riot that took place on our capital. And all these things being said about Christianity. And a good portion of that is being promoted by people who are trying to stop the flow. And the people who are are in for the show are easily manipulated by this group of people. And that's what happened at that first triumphal entry with Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the third group that was there. There was a crowd there to stop the flow, those opposed to Jesus Christ. Let's read about them from Luke chapter 19, verses 39 through 40. Listen to this. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, their very stones would cry out. So this was the crowd of the Pharisees, and and they wanted to cut off this movement of Christ right at the knees. They just wanted to stop this flow before it got started. And in just a week's time from the triumphal entry, uh, Jesus was arrested. was brought before Pilate, and they could find no reason to execute him. But this group of Pharisees, chief priests, teachers of the law, the ones who wanted to stop the flow, they incited the crowd that was there for the show to what? 
cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, and the hail changed to nails. And why does it surprise us today that we have these same three crowds? Don't we? We have a majority of people in this country that just don't know, amen? Then we should be the ones in the know here, amen? And then there's some who are committed fools, like the Bible would talk about, who say there is no God, and they want to incite the crowd that's there for the show to go against the crowd that's in the know. We have the same dynamic happening with us today that happened at that first triumphal entry. So the hails changed to nails as the crowd there for the show was incited by the crowd there to stop the flow. But the flow stoppers couldn't stop the movement of Jesus Christ. They couldn't stop it. Because that wasn't about that day. That was about the cross that he was about to embark upon. And it continued this unstoppable movement of Christ. This, this triumphal entry continued as he finished the course marked out for him and he marched right to the cross. And he sacrificed himself so that you and I can sit here today as people in the know. Which brings us to this conclusion, the ultimate triumph. Jesus chose the nails as the Lamb of God who takes away sin. He exchanged hails for nails. Amen. He exchanged hell from there. Aren't you glad he did that? I'm so grateful. We're going to end there today and uh, prepare now for a time of baptism, which is a great way to actually end this message. Mm-hmm.